0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. The college football playoff is on the horizon and we're set for a bowl bonanza. Rockin' Rich Sormonello, As a college football fan, we really get into the heart of the bowl season. Nothing better. I'm looking forward to these games on tap.
1: Yeah, as am I, Joe. I mean, we've had a lot of bowl appetizers up to this point. Some good games, but smaller programs, teams that weren't necessarily in the top 25. Now we get to see those matchups that we've been craving throughout the month of December, I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the next week or so. Stay with us for for the next
0: hour. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. We're going to go through all the games from Friday, December 30th through January 2nd outside the two playoff games. We'll break them down. We'll give our analysis, give our predictions. A lot to talk about th- throughout the college football landscape in terms of players sitting out. So stay with us for the next hour. Rich, that's where I want to start the show before we get into our breakdown of the Sun Bowl on December 30th, because a lot of players like Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, deciding not to play in their bowl games respectively. I understand it, but as a college football fan, that doesn't mean I have to like it.
1: No, I mean, listen. There's two sides to this discussion. I get both of them. There's the emotional side that we want to see the best players. Listen, I was excited to see McCaffrey for the last time against North Carolina. I wanted to see the matchup with Mitch Trubisky, the Tar Heel quarterback. So as a fan, it hurts. But from a logical standpoint, when you pull the emotion out of it, I do get it. I, I think players took notice of what happened to Jalen Smith of Notre Dame last year, suffered almost a career-ending injury, would have been a top-five pick, lost out on in excess of $20 million. And now they go into these games and say, you know, my main concern is my health and preparing for the NFL draft. The question I have for you, Joe, is I don't think the floodgates open, but is this the beginning of a trend in 2017 and beyond?
0: I was going to bring that up to you because it's not just Jalen Smith. We saw back in 2003 with the star running back for Miami, Willis McGahee. That was the BCS National Championship game against Ohio State. But I think it will open the floodgates. You're going to see fringe players that are on the cusp of possibly being – first or second round draft picks that you're going to see possibly sit out the bowl season. And unfortunately, as college football fans... That's the one thing we want to see. We want to see the stars play for their respective teams. That's what makes these interconference battles so special. But I have a feeling that we're going to see it from 2017 and beyond, where these players will step up on both, step out on both the offense and, mm-hmm. and defensive sides. And as college football fans, we're the ones that are so called robbed from these marquee matchups.
1: And listen, I've talked to players over the past decade. I have heard their discontent about the postseason when it's not a Rose Bowl type game. Obviously, when it's not a playoff game, they're not always ecstatic when they're seniors or juniors leaving early to go to the NFL to play in this additional game. I think it's going to come down to the NFL. Watch the NFL, Joe, start to send signals and say, things like, I'm going to question the heart or the character or the passion. I'm not agreeing with the sentiment, but I think that's one way to get kids almost to pressure them into playing that final game. The problem I have is I'll take the glasses half full type of approach. Yeah, I wanted to see McCaffrey, but deep down, I knew we might not see the 100% Christian McCaffrey. I'm kind of interested in seeing the future of Stanford. Now we get a chance to see Bryce Love. He'll be the feature back in this Sun Bowl. That, to me, is kind of exciting because it gives us a little bit of advanced scouting for next season.
0: And on top of that, players behind Leonard Fournette, we've seen Darius Guy step Mm -hmm. up and lead a school record, breaking Leonard Fournette's performance against Ole Miss. He did it against Texas A&M. So it's opened the door for other players like you mentioned. The one thing that I'll say is, and one of the games that we're going to break down in today's show is Florida State and Michigan. I mean, that is a matchup that you want to see because of the contrast of styles. You want to see Florida State's high-octane offense go up against that tough Michigan defense led by Jabril Peppers. But what if this game did not feature Dalvin Cook or did not feature Jabril Peppers on the defensive side of the ball? Would as many fans be zeroing in on this matchup as we're going to witness on December 30th?
1: I don't think so, and that's really the big concern. We know that the bowl season, for those of us who are fans, bowl season is is for us to see matchups that we otherwise wouldn't have seen during the regular season. But for local communities, if it's Shreveport or Fort Worth or St. Petersburg, there is an economic factor to this. There are hotel rooms. There are restaurants. There's that local commerce that is impacted in December and January from the bowl season. I I do wonder if we're going to get to a point now where early December, mid-December, Joe, becomes a time where stars not participating in the playoffs, they make announcements whether or not they're going to those games, and what kind of an impact is that going to have on attendance and ticket sales in that community? That's a great point, and the other point that I wanted
0: to bring up as well is For coaches, they wouldn't mind stars sitting out because we know Mm -hmm. like a a star like Dalvin Cook who's moving on to the NFL, Leonard Fournette as well, they want to get those young guys involved and more experience. That helps them in terms of spring football. That helps them with position battles to let them know what they have in terms of their core group of guys leading into next season. So from a coach's perspective, they're really not upset about it because unless you're playing in the playoff, you don't have national championship implications at this point. But it is the other players that are getting those bad information from agents, guys that we've seen come out, juniors, and we scratch our heads, why is this guy opting for the NFL draft? Now you get a kid that's a fringe player, maybe he's a second, third-round draft pick, and he's saying, you know what, I don't want to hurt myself because I have NFL aspirations. I'm not going to play in the bowl game. And it winds up hurting him as a detriment because now it's a trickle-down effect. Well, if Leonard Fournette's doing it, I've gotten advice from from an agent that I could be a second or a third round pick. I'm not going to play in the bowl game. And this this is a kid that winds up hurting his NFL career because he sits out of the bowl game and might not get drafted and might have to stick on as a free agent
1: in the NFL. Joe, you brought up two excellent points. I'll start with the second one. Totally agree with you. I think this is a time of year where no one knows for sure what someone's true draft uh, draft grade is. I mean, there are some kids, you know, Miles Garrett, we have an idea, he's going to be picked very high. But by and large, we don't know. So the example of what you're bringing up, Joe, is Shock Linwood, the running back from Baylor. That's a prime example of someone who maybe could have helped his cause in his bowl game instead of sitting out and basically bailing on his team. I think that becomes a detriment to his future. We will see more kids who are doing that, and there'll be suspect decisions. And really quickly, great point as far as the coaches. If you're Jimbo Fisher, yeah, you kind of want to see those kids that are going to be a part of next year's team because, sure, you obviously want to win this bowl game, but he already has one foot. That whole staff already has one foot in 2017. They're preparing for next year and how they can make a title run.
0: Exactly. Exactly, great point. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you could follow me at GoFortHeTwo. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. Rich, we have some great games to break down. And for those fans that know me, if I was 12-0 as a head coach, Rich, and I was headed to the college football playoff, I would bypass that invitation and accept a bowl invite to the Rolling Hills of Texas El Paso, the Sun Bowl, hands down is my favorite bowl game year after year. We've seen some great matchups over the last decade, and we have an intriguing battle this year between Stanford and North Carolina. The Cardinal top defense, defensive front seven going up against Mitch Trubisky and those great group of
1: wide receivers. This is a very intriguing battle to say the least. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's two teams that flirted uh, for a time, at least in the case of Stanford. It was more in the preseason. But there were expectations of winning a division, playing – Uh, in a conference championship game. Stanford flamed out but finished strong. Carolina was up and down during the season. I really have been impressed by what David Shaw has been able to do with the Cardinal. This is a team that could have potentially bailed on the season. They're accustomed to winning the Pac-12, playing in a major bowl game, got off to a very slow start, and then finished on a tear with five straight wins. So now I'm curious, can they continue that Christian McCaffrey was a big part of that he won't be participating in this game but it's still a defensive driven team the the hard-nosed blue-collar Stanford team against the flash of Mitch Trubisky and that Carolina offense now there's here's the matchup that I look at I love North
0: Carolina prior to Christian McCaffrey sitting out so I really think North Carolina holds a significant speed advantage on the outside with their wide receivers Ryan Switzer Austin Prohl, bug Howard Mack Collins I really think they could put a lot of pressure on Stanford secondary that's given up 219 passing yards per game and I think that Stanford if they get into a shootout with North Carolina their quarterbacks of Kristen Burns better step up and make plays vertically because I think it's going to be a long day especially if North Carolina could strike first I really like North Carolina here I think they can put, lay uh, Stanford to the woodshed here and win this game by double digits I know they're an underdog in this battle but I really feel North Carolina is the, the more superior team, especially on the
1: offensive side of the ball? I I tend to be, I I tend to favor Stanford traditionally. I like their style of play. Big fan uh, of their coach, David Shaw. I think he'll have the kids prepared. You always worry about motivation because of what I said a few minutes ago. Both of these teams thought they would be playing in a conference championship game. They fell short. So I do worry about motivation, but give me the brawn, of Stanford, Give me a Solomon Thomas on the defensive line. I love the way they play D. Secondary, finally healthy. Spent a lot of the year with a, a, ju- a juggled lineup in the secondary, missing cornerbacks. Quentin Meeks is a kid on the back end that I think people should watch. But I like the physicality of Stanford over the speed of Carolina. And I'll mention Bryce Love one more time. I think he gets a chance in El Paso. You're home away from home in the postseason, Joe. I think he gets an opportunity to really showcase, uh, showcase what he's potential uh, next season.
0: Well, when you look at North Carolina from a defensive perspective, even though Gene Chizik brought success there last year, a bend-but-don't-break type of defense, they made it to the ACC championship game. They had ACC title hopes this year, but really broke down a key situation during the season. Uh, you look at a game, one, one uh, game this year, Virginia Tech ran all over that defensive front seven. They cannot stop the run consistently. I mean, last year they gave up 247 rushing yards per game in their three losses last last year, they allowed 407 rushing yards per game. This year no different. In their five losses, they've allowed 241 rushing yards to opposing offenses. So this is a blue-collar offensive line in Stanford. They're going to need to force Stanford into third down and long situations to put that pressure on their quarterbacks to make plays because when you have the benefit of third down and short situations, you take a lot of pressure off the offensive line. You take a lot of pressure off your quarterback play. So that's the M the for North Carolina. They need to step up in this ball game in run support, and in my opinion, they need to strike first to put the pressure on Stanford's offense.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's what the game comes down to is whether or not you can force the Stanford offense to throw when they're not accustomed to it not a great passing team not anyone on the outside that's going to frighten a very good carolina secondary look at the numbers north carolina this year for all of the problems and inconsistency that they have defensively have only given up 10 passing touchdowns this season now they only have one pick which is criminal but it is run defense that's a problem, and I think that's why you're going to have to see a lot of Bryce Love between the tackles. But you're absolutely right, Joe. If it's 3rd and seven, third and 8 for Kristen Burns, that's a problem for the Stanford offense.
0: Here's the other thing, not off topic, but Mitch Krabisky, solid quarterback, but I don't
1: see him as the number yeah. one guy in, in college football. I know he's got the I advantage. think he's leaving, Joe. I think he's leaving. I really do. Yeah. If, if that's what you're referring to, I think he's going to leave for well, the NFL draft. You no, know,
0: I think he's leaving. Even too, but do you think he's the number one quarterback selected in this? I mean, I, I, I've heard that that Cleveland was highly interested. I mean, not to get yeah. off topic, but I need mm-hmm. to see a little more consistency out of Mitch Trubisky, especially in big games. I mean, you, even though he ha, he put up statistics against NC State, he struggled against Duke, struggled against the Wolfpack in big ball games. I don't know if this is the number one pick in my opinion, and I, again, I, I think he'll, he's coming out as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he's
1: the best player in college football in terms of the quarterbacks. No, I, I agree with you. My theory has always been—I'd like your take on this. My theory, when it comes to quarterbacks, is unless you're a surefire top five pick, which is which is hard to pass up on that opportunity and that money. I think you're better off going back to school and getting more reps. And I think that applies to Trubisky. I want to see what he could do in a pro-style offense. I like his clutch play. Showed some really clutch moments, especially against Pittsburgh and against Florida State. So I like the kid's future. But I think he should be in Chapel Hill next year as well.
0: We're going to give our predictions for this game. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be breaking all the games down on December 30th. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from Rock and Riley's, taking a quick break, coming right back. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple Rockin' Rileys. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about this marquee battle in the Sun Bowl, Stanford and North Carolina. Rich, to me, it does come down to Mitch Trubisky and those wide receivers that I mentioned, Switzer, Howard, Prohl, and Hollins. They have combined for 191 receptions, 2,610 yards, 19 touchdowns. I like the speed of North Carolina. I think they win this game by double digits. I think it's a high scoring game though as well. I think North Carolina wins this ball game. I'll say 40 to 27 over Stanford. I don't think the Cardinals have the horses to keep up with the Tar Heels.
1: I'll lay the points. I like Stanford. I really like the defensive unit. They got better as the season went on. They're entering the postseason on a high. And again, I'll say it one final time, Bryce Love is going to be one of those names from the postseason that really sets us up for next season as one of the stars of the Pac-12.
0: Here's one thing to look at when you look at Stanford, and I'll get your quick thought about that before we move on to Nebraska and Tennessee. But the one thing when I look at this matchup overall is Stanford struggled with the Washington State Cougar offense. Luke Falk. They found holes in that secondary. Speed teams gave them some problems. Jake Browning had a big day against that secondary as well. I know they had injuries, but to me, that's the way you have to attack the Cardinal. You look at some of the uh, statistics that they have given up over some of the better passing teams in the Pac-12 this year. They gave up 274 to Oregon, 393 to California. So I look at that matchup overall and I say, okay, if Trubisky could strike early, you know Stanford is a methodical type of offense. If they fall behind double digits, that could be the recipe, and that's why I like the speed of North Carolina.
1: Yeah, listen, if Stanford falls behind early, I'm concerned because of what you just mentioned. Stanford is methodical. They're not a hurry-up offense. They want to run the ball. They want to run it to set up the pass. I just don't think they're going to get off to that fast start. I think it's Stanford's going to shove around that front seven of Carolina probably rush from north of 250 yards.
0: Elijah Hood is out with an undisclosed mm-hmm. injury for that ball game as well, so keep that in mind. McCaffrey's out for Stanford, Elijah Hood out for North Carolina in that battle. Let's turn our attention to another Big 10 SEC battle. It's Nebraska and Tennessee. Key note here is Riker Fife probably will get the start. For Nebraska, Tommy Armstrong battling a hamstring injury. Nate Gary is out as well. Their star safety. He will not play in this ball game. This is a game that Butch Jones and Tennessee just seem to get up for after disappointing seasons. Last year, they throttled Northwestern. Two years ago, they ran all over Iowa. But in my opinion, Rich, I think this is a different animal, even though Fife getting the start for Nebraska. I like Nebraska in this matchup.
1: Mm. I'm surprised. I'm going to go with Tennessee with a similar performance as last year, and I'll tell you why. You mentioned Butch Jones to me. Joe, that is the storyline of this game. I mean, Butch Jones is already on the hot seat entering next season. He has to get off to a fast start in light of how poorly they finished the season, failing to win the SEC East. The reason why I like the Volunteers, not just motivation, but this is a team that in late October and November was so beat up. And I'm not trying to give them excuses for their poor finish, but health was certainly a factor. This is one of those per- We talk a lot. We've talked a lot about the postseason and intangibles, Joe. Tennessee is one of those teams that will be as healthy as they've been since September. I think that's a huge factor. One more name for Nebraska, Jordan Westerkamp also not playing, so this is not a full roster for Mike Riley, so I like Tennessee in this matchup.
0: Here's the thing, and I agree with you. I understand what you're saying. In terms of their rush defense this year, Tennessee was atrocious. They allowed 234 rushing yards per game. They broke down from that Alabama game straight through the end of the year. I mean, they were a sieve in terms of run support, so yes, this added time off will allow them to get healthy. Here's the thing I look at when I look at this matchup. Even though Riker Fife hasn't had a lot of game experience. He played in that ball game against Maryland where they won at home 28-7. Not a lot of game film on him, so that should benefit Nebraska in this matchup. I still like Nebraska's offensive line. I mean, Nebraska's averaging 178 rushing yards per game. They have newbie, and I like Mike Riley over Butch Jones. I, I don't care what you say. I know Butch Jones, uh, the pressure is on him, but I'll still take Mike Riley with four weeks of preparation, especially with a new quarterback quarterback, he seems to work wonders offensively. And throughout his career in the bowl season when he was at Oregon State, even last year they were five and seven against UCLA. Mm-hmm. They picked up that victory in the Foster Farms Bowl. I, I like Riley in this spot.
1: Yeah, it's funny I was gonna mention the same thing. I mean Nebraska we didn't expect anything. We you know we sort of mocked Nebraska and they played so well last year against UCLA So a lot of props to Mike Riley, not just in the postseason, but really throughout the regular season. I I thought he did a very good job. But without Tommy Armstrong, you you, you lose that leadership ability in the huddle, Joe, but you also lose... His ability to make plays with his feet, I I think that helps the Tennessee defense. Riker Fife, more of a stationary, mobile pocket passer, has played some. I I think the benefit for the Huskers is you are getting a senior quarterback. It's not like this is a redshirt freshman or a sophomore going up against the Tennessee defense. One player I want to highlight is the best player in this game, and it's Derek Barnett. I, I get the sense that Derek Barnett, the defensive end from Tennessee, I think he feels a little slighted. If you if you look at postseason honors, postseason individual awards, he had such a great season, likely his last one in Knoxville. Didn't get a lot of love. I think this is a showcase opportunity before he heads to the NFL draft to really have his way with the Nebraska offensive line. So I think Derek Barnett could have a two- or three-sack game. That puts a lot of heat on Fife. You must have
0: read my mind, Rich, because I was going to bring this up, and not to get on the NFL draft, but we know Derek Barnett. He's up there mentioned with uh, uh, Reggie White as being one of the top defenders uh, for the Tennessee Volunteers. I will say this. He's had a very disappointing year. In my opinion, I know he has the numbers to put it up with Reggie White. But there is no comparison between uh, Derek Barnett and Reggie White. He did not dominate. He dominated mediocre competition, in my opinion. When you stepped up in competition in the SEC, he did not take a game over, a la Reggie White, a la Derek Thomas, throughout their years. So I don't look at him as being this game changer on the defensive side of the ball. He's got the intangibles got the size, got everything you want. But I don't see him turning that defense over and dominating and taking over the game
1: yeah and listen this is a different opponent than, than he would have seen let's say against alabama not the same o-line talent as he faced at times in the sec nebraska has done a nice job with the offensive line i don't see the elite caliber talent on the on the flanks to control Derek barnett and it's possible in terms of motivation it's possible that he's aware of that fact, that when the bright light shined this year, he was not the game-changer that Tennessee needed him to be, so that might be even more motivation for him to show up uh, in his bowl game against Nebraska.
0: And here's the thing why I like Nebraska too. They're going to have to shut down Josh Dobbs. His mobility, Josh Dobbs on the perimeter of opposing defenses could be a game-changer in this matchup, but Nebraska's been very solid in run support this year, only giving up 141 rushing yards per game. there third-down defense as well has been very, very good in the area of about 36% for third-down conversions. So if they force Josh Dobbs into third-down and long situations— I I think they'll have a chance in this ball game. I think think a lot of eyes are looking Big Ten, SEC battle, so a lot of, you know, uh, we've seen Tennessee step up in in this spot the last two years now, so, but I I like Nebraska. I'll say, when I look at this matchup, I think Nebraska can score on Tennessee's defense, even though they're rested, even though their front seven might step up, like you mentioned, like Derek Barnett going out in style. I still like Nebraska to run the football between the tackles. I I think they win this ball game. I'm going to say 31-27. I think it's high scoring in the sense of I don't think they get into a shootout 50-40, to 40, that type of game, but I think they're going to have to run the football, work off of play action, and I still think they, they can move the football over the top of their of their secondary, we'll we'll take yeah. a quick we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll give our prediction for this game as well, and we'll get into the rest rest of the slate for December thirtieth. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from Rock and Riley's. Keep it where it is. football game day right here on the fantasy sports radio network live from the big apple we're breaking down nebraska and tennessee rich i think nebraska's defense will step up i gave my prediction 31 to 27 over tennessee and butch jones and more importantly josh dobbs handing the uh, the tennessee quarterback a season ending loss to end out his volunteer career i look for mike riley and the crew to step up in a big way
1: I think Butch Jones knows what's at stake, has to win this game, has to start 2017 fast. The X factor for me is Alvin Kamara, the volunteer running back. Not sure if he's 100%, but I think if he is, he gets an opportunity to audition in front of NFL scouts in the event he leaves early to the NFL draft. I like Tennessee relatively easy. I'm going to say 37-27. Yeah, 37-27 volunteers. Okay, we'll see how that
0: game plays out. The game is in Nashville, so it should be a pro-Tennessee crowd there, 3.30 p.m. December 30th. Friday afternoon, here's another, the marquee battle for Friday uh, on December 30th, the 8 p.m. start. Florida State and Michigan doesn't get better than this when you talk about an ACC Big Ten battle. Two teams that were st- thought of prior to the year to be top five teams. Michigan was there much of the way, losing to Ohio State on the last weekend of the regular season. Now, very angry very looking forward to really putting a beat down on Florida State and freshman quarterback DeAndre Francois. We've seen Jimbo Fisher over the last couple of years now. Teams coming out very lackluster, especially last year against Houston in the Peach Bowl. I think it continues. I haven't seen enough consistency out of Florida State this year. From big ball games to big ball games, they take weeks off in my opinion. I like the more disciplined team here in Jim Harbaugh's crew with a better defense overall, and in my opinion, the best player in college football, Jabril Peppers.
1: We're in complete agreement on this one. I worry about Florida State in these spots. It's one of these programs, Joe, that If they're not in a playoff, if they're not playing for a title, I think they struggle in postseason games. We obviously, you mentioned it, we saw it in Atlanta last year against Houston, just an awful effort. I don't think we'll see that. But I know that Michigan does a phenomenal job of getting up for postseason games under Jim Harbaugh, albeit in a small sampling over the past season. I think he has his teams ready. And to me, the big advantage is at the line of scrimmage. Not impressed by the Florida State offensive line all season long, veteran unit, underachieved. Now you go up against that front seven of Michigan, as tough as any in the country. I think they're just going to be the latest team that batters and torments DeAndre Francois, who had a nice rookie season but took a beating. I'll take the physicality of Michigan. They're motivated. I think they win this one going away. I agree with you, and that's the one thing when I
0: look at this matchup, who would you rather have? I would rather have the solid defensive front seven. Now, we've seen Darwin Walker and that defense step up over recent weeks. They dominated Florida at the end of the year. They made their dominance in that ball game, but... From top to bottom, I haven't seen the consistency. This is a, a Florida State defense that has 47 sacks on the year, holding opposing offenses to 33% on third-down conversions, but you look at the flip side in Michigan. They're holding opposing offenses, Rich, to 135 rushing yards per game, 20% on third-down conversions. That's number one in FBS, and they're solid in run support, only giving up 113 rushing yards per game, and they have Jabril Peppers, a game changer at the outside linebacker position that can be put up in run blitzes and he really disrupts timing of the offensive line. This is a Florida State offensive line that has allowed 34 sacks on the year and hasn't faced a physical defensive front like Michigan that's going to utilize run blitzes with a player like Jabril
1: Peppers coming off the edge. Yeah, listen, Peppers is the bellwether. I also like the defensive lineman, Joe. Don't get as much attention, but the Ryan Glasgow's, the Chris Wormley's, the, the Maurice Hurst's do a tremendous job of maintaining their blocks holding those blocks so that their linebackers, not just Peppers, but also Ben Gideon and Mike McCray, can make a lot of plays laterally and in the backfield. I think it's a long day for Dalvin Cook, who I absolutely love. He'll come in with a Warriors mentality. He's one of these draft-eligible players that I think will give you 100% in the Orange Bowl. I don't think it'll be enough. Here's one other factor, too. Wilton Spate, not healthy at the end of the season, now has had a month to rest. So Michigan's quarterback situation will be better than it was at the end of November. And again, I I think Harbaugh is going to have his kids ready for this game. It's another brick in the wall for the Wolverines. And another big postseason victory.
0: And here's the thing. When I watched that matchup last year in the Peach Bowl, uh, I mean, Houston was able to get to Sean McGuire in that ball game. He did hurt his ankle, but they've been able to get pressure on the, uh, DeAndre Francois all season long. The one thing I look at when I look at Michigan's ability to get pressure as well, Florida State hasn't utilized a short to intermediate passing game with Dalvin Cook in the second half of, of the year in terms of screen passes. That's the way you neutralize a pass rush. I haven't seen that all... All season long. And they have one of the best players in college football. He's been utilized on wheel routes down the field. But I haven't seen a a screen pass short to intermediate throws to allow the offensive line to gain some consistency and continuity. And and that's why I think when you look at both of these coaches – Jimbo Fisher, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh is watching game film from the time that Ohio State, they lost that game to Ohio State until now. He's been breaking down this battle. I just don't have enough confidence in Jimbo Fisher in a big spot since he won the national
1: championship against Auburn. Well, we, we talked about Don Brown's defen, uh, defense defense at Michigan. We talked heavily about the front seven. How about the secondary, Joe? How about how about a defensive backfield that is allowing opposing quarterbacks to complete forty four percent of their passes? I mean, forty four percent of their passes. Those are numbers that you used to see in the nineteen sixties. It's hard to even fathom that in in today's era of offenses in college football. So I think Florida State's going to have a very long game trying to move the ball. I think they get out-physicaled And I think, again, this is just another statement. Jim Harbaugh spent a lot of time, right, satellite camps in Florida. He's trying to recruit more players in Florida. Exactly, It's a big opportunity for him to make a uh, statement on signing day as well. And
0: he gets it. I feel like he gets it. I feel like Jimbo Fisher, since they won the national championship against Mm -hmm. Auburn, I feel, yeah, he gets the top five talent. But it's what you do with that talent. You have to coach it up and cultivate it. And I feel like I I don't want to say walking through the motions, but let's be honest. I mean, if anybody looked at their schedule this year, Nobody thought, uh, analyst-wise, that they would lose three games in the manner in which they lost these games. Nobody thought they would get blown out by Lamar Jackson and Louisville. I mean, they did not show up from that ballgame. And and that's not a a typical MO of a Florida State defense or team. They don't take weeks off. That's not what Florida State's built on. So to see that under Jimbo Fisher makes you scratch your head a little bit and say, what's going on over there?
1: It's a very good point. I I think we've now had back-to-back seasons where Jimbo Fisher and that staff have underachieved, And, and now you start to wonder, is this someone, to some extent, was the product of what Jameis Winston was able to bring to Tallahassee for his two seasons, and is this a coach that is not maximizing... The blue chippers that he has, and he has a ton of them.
0: Yeah, my my prediction on this ball game: I think Michigan scores twenty-eight. I think they hold Florida State in check. I think they hold them to ten points. I think it's a twenty-eight to ten yep. game. I think it's much like the Wake Forest game, only reversed. I, I saw Wake Forest bring a physicality to Florida State. I, I and I like what Michigan did against Florida last year. They dominated that matchup, and that was a solid Florida team. They showed up. I think they show up here. I'm calling twenty-eight ten Michigan. Michigan Michigan dominates. You have a score
1: for us? Yeah, I very similar, Joe. I have 28-13, to 13, so I see two touchdowns plus and a, and a relatively easy cover for the Wolverines.
0: Okay, we'll turn our attention to Saturday, which is a marquee battle. LSU and Louisville, we have Heisman Trophy uh, winner Lamar Jackson taking on the LSU Tigers defense with new head coach Ed Ogeron. Interim tag removed this year. This is an intriguing battle because I have an intriguing statistic. Did you know... Former Heisman Trophy winners, when they played and they were underdogs, five times they were underdogs uh, uh, in their ball, bowl games, 0 and 5. And that, wow. uh, that came wow. from my good friend Mark Lawrence. He threw that statistic out there. There's only five Heisman Trophy winners that have been underdogs in their oh. bowl games. They are 0-5. So, I mean, I think this ballgame, to me, comes down to the physicality and the offense and defensive lines for both teams. I mean, LSU's going to have to step up and run support. They're also going to have to put a spy on Lamar Jackson. I think they can do that. I think Arden Key coming off the edge is a very impactful player in this ballgame, but I also think it's LSU's offensive line. They need to wear down Louisville's defensive front seven, Devontae Fields and that front seven the way Kentucky did because Kentucky had great success at the end of the year running the football on that Cardinals defensive front seven.
1: Yeah, listen, I I love that statistic. That was the first time I heard it. I I, I think it becomes 0-6. I I, I think the fact that that, uh, Ed Orgeron is now the head coach, this is the the first game that he is the full-time head coach, no longer the interim coach, I think that's a big deal from an intangible perspective. I like the fact from an LSU standpoint that Leonard Fournette is now playing because Darius Geis was one of the five or six best running backs in the country. Certainly in the month of November, he was unstoppable. I expect to see more of that. And to your point about speed, nobody is faster than Lamar Jackson, but LSU actually has those athletes that can make plays from sideline to sideline. They can prevent him from getting around the edge and heading upfield. I'm not saying he won't have a couple of explosive plays, But LSU will force him to throw, and when you force Lamar Jackson to throw, that is a big problem, especially against the star-studded LSU secondary. So I like the Tigers in this game.
0: And if you've watched Lamar Jackson, when he's a pocket passer and he's forced to make his reads and progressions, He's not as explosive, and that's the one thing when we broke it down during the season. And I said I thought Deshaun Watson was a better quarterback. It was because of that attribute. He has all of the intangibles, and he still has years ahead of him in the college game. So if you can make him force force him in the pocket and make him make his reads and progressions, you have a chance to make mistakes against Lamar Jackson. Force him into mistakes. So that's the one thing when I watched his game all season long. And, And here's the other thing too. They allowed 39 sacks on the year. Now, Houston got to him 11 times this year. But if you think about his mobility, uh, what a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, last year they allowed 44 sacks as an offensive line. And he was only a freshman last year. It's his reads and progression. Sometimes if you force him in the pocket and you force him to be a prototypical dropback passer, he's not as consistent when he's outside the pocket. So I think LSU holds a significant defensive advantage here, especially with Dave Aranda.
1: Yeah, and and I think motivation is going to be a key, Joe. I think this really matters to Ed Orgeron. This is his first national opportunity to make a statement. Yeah, we you know we we knew that Tom Herman might have been Plan B, and and Jimbo Fisher was Plan A, and Orgeron might have been Plan C at some point. I think everybody recognizes that. But if you go out and put a Big effort, a big hurt on Louisville. You shut down and forced turnovers on the Heisman winner. He has the goodwill and the gravitas throughout January through spring football to say, okay, maybe this is the right hire in Baton Rouge. I think that entire staff... At LSU realizes that. And here's the thing. I mentioned that, that game
0: against Kentucky. Kentucky rushed for 229 yards on the Cardinals' defensive front seven. They haven't seen an offensive line in LSU like this with a running back in Darius Geis that's going to pound the football between the tackles. And you know Danny Entling should have some plays down the field off a of play action. That's the one thing I think you'll, you'll see big plays in the passing game by LSU, especially when you see guys like Josh Harvey Clemens creep up in run support malachi dupree and traven Durrell could have huge games in this bowl game they did last year against texas tech so i think it's the same type of game plan
1: yeah and and, and i don't like the way louisville finished the season joe i i know sometimes that month off you, you lose the momentum or you could kind of uh, push the restart button but the loss to houston was ugly the loss to Kentucky was arguably even uglier. So I wonder where the heads are of Louisville. Plus, you have the off-field scandal of Wakey Leaks and Bobby Petrino, and what was, you know, their role involving Wake Forest and gathering information from from one of the Demon Deacon radio announcers? Hasn't been a great past month for Louisville football I just think that trend continues against a very good LSU team
0: I'm, I'm throwing a score out there I think they win this game by 17 points uh 47 I think it's high scoring too I, I think I don't think it's a low scoring game just because of the type of offense that Louisville's going to want to try and get into but LSU can play that style of game with their playmakers especially if they have success running the football 47 to 30 I think LSU wins this matchup
1: yeah, I have a thirty eight twenty seven, and and I'm going to say game MVP is Darius Geist. I love the way this kid runs. He's got everything. He's powerful. He's fast. He runs with determination. The legs never stop churning. So, again, I look at the bowl season as a launching point for next season. Darius Geist is one of those kids that will start 2017 as a top five or six Heisman contender.
0: We'll turn our attention to a great matchup. I mean, it's an intriguing battle. It's Kentucky and Georgia Tech, two teams that didn't expect expect. expect to be here at the start of the year and thank god for mark stoops that his wildcats knocked off louisville and became bowl eligible they were bowl eligible before that but that was a a monumental win to carry the momentum into this bowl game against paul johnson and the yellow jackets we'll take a quick break when we come back rich and i'll be breaking down kentucky and georgia tech stay with us this is joe lisi rich Sermonella live on the fantasy sports radio network Back on college football game day, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When Richard and I left off, we were talking about Kentucky and Georgia Tech. Rich, an intriguing battle, but I really think it comes down to the triple option for me. That's averaging 257 rushing yards per game. I like Justin Thomas, and I look at this Kentucky defense. They're giving up 225 rushing yards on the ground. I know they have playmakers, but I like the Yellow Jackets here. I think they dominate this matchup by about 13 to 17 points. Yeah, I see. Scoring, you think, Joe? I think so. I think it's high scoring, but I, I still think that Georgia Tech will open up a lead. I mean, if you watch them the last couple of games when they played Georgia, they got into that methodical type of game and they turned it on in the last seven minutes of the ball game. but it wasn't their rushing attack. It was their ability to throw over the top with Justin Thomas in play action that really pulled out that ball game. I mean, they're averaging 131 passing yards through the air. I like the Yellow Jackets here. I think they can score some points on Kentucky's defense. They're giving up 31 points per game
1: yeah five yards a carry on the kentucky defense that's my big concern against the triple option i like georgia tech i think it's a lot closer though because kentucky has done a very nice job offensively they've got some young running backs uh benny snell's done a great job as a freshman they started to move the ball in the second half of the season georgia tech defensively no one really lights it up no one stands out for me so i expect to see a seesaw back-and-forth battle. I wouldn't be surprised to see something like 41-38, 42-38, something in that regard. I like the Yellow Jackets. I just think it'll be closer than you have it.
0: We'll see how that game plays out. We're going to turn our attention to the Big 10 SEC battle between number 17 Florida and Iowa. This is an intriguing battle as well because I love what Florida's done, even though uh, I, I want to say methodical offense. They had quarterback issues with Luke Del Rio, but for Jim McIlwain to get this team back to the SEC championship game, win the SEC East. I mean, a fantastic job and doesn't get enough credit for what he's done there. When everybody's looking at Tennessee, they just go about their
1: business and win the division. Yeah, I mean, you could kind of say the same thing about Iowa not winning the division, but just the fact that they have milked Uh, some production, some wins out of average playmakers. Look at how they finish the season, beating Michigan, beating Illinois, blowing out Nebraska. So Iowa enters the postseason with a head of steam. Having said that, I have to go with the team that has the best unit. For me, that's the Florida defense. Hate their offense. I snooze on their offense just like everybody else does, but love the D. And here's one fact. Alex Anzalone has had a month to get healthy, should play in this game. Jared Davis played with injuries in the second half of the season, the linebacker. So a healthy recharged Florida defense, to me, that is the key in this game. That's why Florida's going to beat Iowa.
0: I'm in agreement with you. Statistically, they're both even. Florida averages 23 points per game. Iowa, 26 points per game. Both defenses giving up 17 points per game. But for me, it does come to the back end of Florida. I know Iowa has Desmond King, but they're talking about Jalen Tabor, Quincy Wilson Jr., and a defense that's only allowing 156 passing yards per game. And the way they played against Michigan Last year, did not step up. I like Florida here to make a statement. I, I don't think there will be lackluster in this ball game. Luke Del Rio is available. I think they can make some plays on Iowa's uh, secondary as well. This has not been a consistent Iowa team, even though they turned it on at the end of the year. We've seen teams like North Dakota State and Northwestern move the football on this defense.
1: Yeah, that was back uh, early in the season. They have gotten significantly better. I, I, I like a Josie Jewell on the second level. Uh, a Jaleel Johnson up front I think will do well against a very average Florida offensive line. I don't think either team scores much. I mean, if you want fireworks, this is not going to be your game. Low scoring, lots of punts. I, I think at the end of the day, it's the Florida defense. I, I have Florida winning 22-17. to 17.
0: Okay, I have... Florida winning thirty to thirteen. I think they dominate this ball game. I, I think they win it by double digits, easy. I don't think it's a game uh, by the fourth quarter. Florida dominates this matchup with the speed of their defense, uh, defensive front seven, and secondary. Here's a game I love. I love Western Michigan over Wisconsin. I just think it's a prime matchup. You look at the way Penn State was able to throw over the top of this defense. I like Zach Terrell. I like Corey Davis, Franklin, and Bogan. I think they open up Wisconsin's defense in this matchup, the Cotton Bowl.
1: I'll tell you the truth. They wouldn't shock me at this point. I'll take a slightly different tact why I think Western Michigan can win this game and why taking the points would be wise. I probably overstate intangibles in December and January, but you have two teams on the complete opposite spectrum. You have Cinderella, not just Cinderella, but Cinderella, which kept its coach. I mean, nobody expected P.J. Fleck to still be in Kalamazoo. That was my big concern postseason Western Michigan. Who's coaching them? Well, it's still P.J. Fleck. That is an enormous advantage for Western Michigan. On the flip side, you have Wisconsin, which fully expected, especially when they had opened up a big lead on Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game, they expected to be opposite USC in the Rose Bowl. Now they're in virtually the no-win situation of playing the Cotton Bowl against a team from the MAC. So I think motivation-wise, the advantage could not be any bigger for Western Michigan. I think they're in this game throughout. I worry about their defense and the size of their defenders against that Wisconsin offensive line, but I think this is a clear-cut game to take the points
0: i think they win the game outright 37 33 this is the team that's second in, in turnover margin in the country plus 19 overall they're averaging over 200 passing yards per game averaging over 200 rushing yards per game i think western michigan is primed for the upset don't like wisconsin in this battle i think western michigan wins 37 33 do you have
1: a prediction you want to throw out there yeah, I'm going to take Western Michigan, and I know that Wisconsin obviously is significantly better than Northwestern or Illinois, but it's a big deal psychologically that Western Michigan is already 2-0 and this season against the Big Ten.
0: Two games left. We have about three minutes. It's the Rose Bowl, USC, and Penn State, and Auburn and Oklahoma. I like Penn State. I like Auburn. Both underdogs. I like them to strike the upset, respectively, not sold on USC or
1: OU at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm going to go the opposite in both regards. I love the USC defense. Really like what Clancy Pendergast has done. They were young, didn't know what to expect on the defensive line. They have been fantastic all season long, I think they'll outmuscle Penn State. And I'm eager to see the quarterback battle between Sam Darnold and Trace McSorley. And in terms of Oklahoma-Auburn, Oklahoma has balance on offense. Auburn does not. Do not like the quarterback, Sean White, at Auburn. Plus, forget the statistics of Oklahoma. The defense is markedly better than they were in September, including the secondary. So I think it's one-dimensional Auburn. Against the balanced attack of Oklahoma, give me the Sooners. Uh,
0: I'll tell you what I look at when I look at Penn State. James Franklin, in his days, in a big spot, both bowl games back to back, nine and four seasons in Vanderbilt, he won both of those games. The momentum carried through in during the off season, meaning the off weeks in preparation to the bowl season. His teams were mentally and disciplined in those victories. I like Penn State here. I think they really have the momentum. I think Penn State dominates this matchup too. I think they win this ball game. I'm going to say 27 to 14 over USC and I do think Auburn gets a high scoring game. I think it's 37 31. The Tigers can run on OU's defense, not sold on Bob Stoops. Uh, to me, I like Auburn's physicality, especially with their defensive front seven led by Carl Lawson and their secondary stepped up against some of the better teams on their schedule like Clemson. We're just getting started. Stay with us all season long. For Rich Sermonello. this is Joe Lisi. Have a great week, everyone. Stay with us.